The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. They did it again. They did it again. They buried Fang, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Uh, by they, I mean the motley crew of Freeport, McMoran, Cleveland Cliffs, a bunch of other natural resource companies that Wall Street is now so totally enamored of, all of which rallied nicely once again today. And that's why the Dow, filled with the now much-beloved industrials, gained 97 points. This would be advanced 0.07%. Tech-heavy Nasdaq. Well, what did that do? Yes, it dropped 0.37%. No traction there. Now, today's Nasdaq drop wasn't as bad as yesterday's tech wreck, where most of Fagin's lookalikes just got clobbered. But this is a strong rotation. When you zoom out, only Facebook and Alphabet, the parent of Google, have really done anything this year, up 15% and 32% respectively. That's because they're all about advertising. The ad business is booming thanks to the great reopening. Netflix is off more than 8% after that weak quarter. Amazon's up less than 1%, even though it shot the lights out. Apple's actually an amazing quarter. Oh, Amazon was amazing quarter, too. Apple's actually down 3%. Again, despite excellent earnings, it's suboptimal for certain. Meanwhile, Freeport McMoran, the largest copper miner, rallied 60% so far. Cleveland Cliffs, New Steel Clauses, we had them on recently, up 39%. Hey, Kramer Fave, Nucor soared almost 75%. They're leaving big tech in the dust. But you know what? I'm not ready to give up on Fang, and I'm going to tell you why. First, FANG is not a real thing. It's just an acronym I came up with a long time ago as a convenient way to talk about a handful of unbelievable stocks with fabulous prospects. We shouldn't we should have recalibrated that and M for Microsoft at some point. That's up 11% for the year, but it doesn't scan well and it ruins the alliterative humor that I came up with. 
These companies don't necessarily have that much in common. This is the year to own Facebook and Alphabet, the advertising plays. Other years were better for Netflix or Amazon or Apple. So don't assume they all deserve to trade together. It's just ETFs that put them together, stealing my fang, of course. Second, right now we're experiencing an incredible economic boom in this country, the likes of which we haven't seen in decades, maybe 100 years. We've got ridiculously low interest rates, the Fed's printing money, and President Biden's governing like Huey Long, a chicken for every pot, a car, and every garage. This is a once-in-a-lifetime boom, people. And sure, when the economy is good, this good, that's a lot less enticing. But look at the long haul, will you? Over the last 10 years, Facebook is up 724%. Apple's up 934%. Amazon's up 1,559%. Netflix is up 1,408%. And Alphabet's up 766%. By the way, Microsoft's up 856% in the same period. S&P, how they do? Up 212%. Dow, how's that going that everybody loves so much? 156%. Well, that's hardly suboptimal. These are great. Doesn't this merit something? These are Hall of Famers. Do we just decide, you know what, forget them? Now, granted, this year Alphabet's been the best performer in the group, but over the long haul, it's been one of the worst performers. Does that mean we should throw all of them away to double down on the singles like Cleveland Cliffs and Freeport? I mean, I, I, not so fast. Which brings me to point number three. Booms are great but they don't last. Sooner or later, they're followed by a bust, often because the Federal Reserve sees inflation getting out of control and slams the brakes on the economy by raising interest rates. Now, I don't think that's going to happen soon. Fed Chief Jay Powell is adamant that he won't start tightening until we're much closer to full employment. But it will happen eventually. It always does. Once the economy slows down, the cyclical stocks collapse and investors flock to FANG plus Microsoft. These stocks are spectacular winners Anytime there's a slowdown, although Alphabet could lag because of its advertising dependence that is so loved right now. I mean, you know, it is kind of a self-correcting situation here. Fourth, you may think the FANG names are has-beens. I mean, after all, there are no Teslas, get it? I mean, you don't see a lot of FANG names in Kathy Wood's uh, portfolio, right? Arc, she's going to be on on Friday. Uh, not this show. Uh, Tesla is incredible. Uh, but think about this. Does Tesla make a lot of money? No. How would it do without government subsidies? Good question. Is there a huge organization of great people under Elon Musk? Hmm, we have no idea. Suppose he decided to retire. What happens then? I mean, who knows? Hey, maybe he's great on Saturday Night Live and he will retire. The Fangs, on the other hand, are built to last. They have huge benches. They're not sensitive to the whims of the consumer. They're all sitting on massive piles of cash. They can reinvent themselves whenever they want. Fifth reason, they do, in fact, reinvent themselves. Facebook bought Instagram, and that made him a fortune. Now the company's working with consumer packaged goods makers as well as small and medium-sized businesses help them boost sales. They have many other services that have only barely begun to monetize. Amazon was a bookseller. Then it was a goods seller. Then it was a web services company. Now it's also an advertising play with a machine called Alexa who responds to your every whim. It never stops, even when you wish it would. Apple used to be an Apple computer, right? That's what it was called. Then it got into music players and cell phones and accessories. Now it's got a rapidly growing service stream, revenue stream that came out of nowhere. How about Netflix? Used to be a mail-order DVD rental service. Then it became a streaming video company. Now it's also a film and TV studio. Alphabet was all about search, the core Google business. Then they bought YouTube. Now they've got Google Cloud. Hey, let's throw in Microsoft anyway. King of computer software, bunch of adjacent businesses, Xbox, LinkedIn. Now Azure, their cloud infrastructure offering, which is the biggest of all. What about the cyclicals that are on fire right now? Let's see. Well, Freeport, which is a copper and gold company, used to be a copper and gold company. Cleveland Cliffs was in the iron ore business. Well, last year they went out on a limb and 
bought some steel companies. Nucor, still steel. Each of them have been threatened by recessions, foreign competition. At times, Cleveland Cliff said Freeport had to go hat in hand for money to survive. The FANG stocks, they don't have to do that. I know they're currently out of favor in the Wall Street fashion show, but I'm telling you it's temporary. You have to resist the urge to believe that Fang is finished and dump it on the obituary chatter. It's why I've always told you to own Apple, don't trade it. How about that? Okay, yeah, for this year, I'm a chump, all right? I'm a chump for this year that I didn't say sell Apple and buy AMC Entertainment, but I didn't. Now, you could argue I'm cherry-picking here, as there are other plenty, plenty of other companies that could rival Fang. I disagree. Time and again, the industrials and the oils and the financials and the railroads and the airlines and even most healthcare companies have run into trouble, either with the business cycle or the government. Other than some political grandstanding, no one has really laid a glove on Fang. And you know why that is? It's because Fang owns the future. When you have young, smart people on your side, you're going to win. And that's what these companies offer. Let me put it this way. These days, the best and brightest want to work for these big tech companies. When I graduated from school, the kids with the best grades generally went to Wall Street. Then again, Stanford was the backup school. The 70s and 80s, they were a different and dead world. As much as I may like the steels, the aluminums, the coppers, or even the garden variety industrials, and I like them a lot right now, they're simply not going to see the resumes that Fang gets. Rich parents aren't pulling strings left and right to get their kids hired by Freeport McMoran. They want their kids to work at Facebook or Alphabet. Maybe their kids do, too. And that's the real strength. Here's the bottom line. You can't fight the business cycle, but eventually the booming economy will wind down and then the whole fang cohort will come roaring back. If you're incredibly nimble, you can swap out of these stocks and swap back in near the bottom. However, that's way too hard for me and for many people to pull off. That's why I recommend maintaining a diversified portfolio. You can have some cyclical exposure along with a fang name or two. That's what we do for the charitable trust because you never know when they are going to turn around. But they will turn around. And when they do, I promise you'll regret abandoning them. Rambo in California. Rambo. Booyah, Jim. This is Rambo from San Jose. And I'm here with my eight-year-old daughter, Eva, and my six-year-old son, Jonah. Jim, we are Action Alert Plus members, and we are so thrilled we stay patient with you on UPS. So thank you for that, brother. Oh, uh, yeah, UPS, we nailed that one. No, Cal Tomei nailed it, and we, and we went along with it. Thank you so much for that. What's up? Oh, yeah, she's awesome. So, Jim, I'm empowering the kids to make their own investment decisions, and Eva has a question that she wanted to ask you directly. She's at school right now, but she recorded this message for you. Sure. Here is Eva. <laughs> My dad and I both love the Andrew show. They're so educational. Here is my question. A lot of kids and adults are still doing online school and work, which requires a lot of computers. So I think it is a good idea to invest in Dell. But I also already have AMD, Apple, and NVIDIA. So I want to know if you think it is a good idea to invest in Dell as well or find more Apple. Thanks. All right, that kid has got horse in, so I want to text Michael. You got to, Dell's fabulous, and that is a great pick. And I really want to appreciate our viewers who invest together. That's what this show is about. I, people keep misunderstanding this show. Sometimes they don't understand. It's about that phone call, okay, and about helping young people to get involved in the market. Dell is terrific. James in Ohio. James! Yo, Jim, it's Blind James from Cleveland. Booyah. Booyah. I love Cleveland, man. I love Cleveland Cliffs. What's going on? Oh, 
course, man. Of course. They're killing the game. All right. So uh, a few months back when the uh, vaccine started to roll out, uh, I got into McKesson for their distribution. They went from 170 and they're over 190 now. Should I uh, get some more in this since boosters are going to be rolling out and stuff? Or, or do I get out? What's the move? Here? Well, I don't know. Amerisource missed today. And that's a peer. And they all trade together. And I'm always afraid that some analysts will then downgrade the group. Let's see what happens tomorrow. I do think McKesson is the best of the lot, though. So I want to see if there's downgrades to the group. And then we can take a swing. All right. Now, I want to talk to Chris in Texas if I can. Oh, that was. You know what? That turns out to be the last call. And the, holy cow, there's the music. And do I love that more than ever? And can I go back to the young person who asked about Dell? Eva, Eva, you're why I do the show. OK, it, it, really, plain and simple. In 10 years from now, when you are old enough to have a big account at Robin or maybe even own Robin by that point, we'll still be working together. Fang will turn around. So have a diversified portfolio with some cyclical exposure. Go buy Cleveland Cliffs. I love that. But also some fang exposure. Well, man, buddy, tonight, CEO pay is a hot topic these days. I'm talking with a company tying its goals of helping the environment, yes, global warming, to executive compensation. Then what's the true outlook for home goods retailer slash turnaround project Bed Bath & Beyond after a noisy first few months of the year? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And in our always-on remote working world, companies need more help than ever managing operations. Paging, pager duty. I've got the CEO next. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Industrials, they're finally getting the credit they deserve. The pattern this earnings season has been for industrials to report great numbers, only to see their stocks, though, sell off. And then they bounce back a few days later, and it's a forgiving market. But it looks like Wall Street's finally figured out how to handle these things. Because when train technology, TT, the big maker of climate control equipment, reported a solid quarter this morning with great guidance, the stock actually managed to rally. If you remember, train was created last year when the old Ingersoll Ram, one of our favorites, spun off its climate control business and merged it with Gardner Denver. Now, uh, train's had a terrific run from $70 that slows last year to nearly $179 today, including a 23% move year to date. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's got more room to run. 
Let's check with Michael Lamock. Well, this is fun. New guy, chairman and CEO of Train Technologies. Hear more about the quarter. Mr. Lamock, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's just Mike. Thank you. All right, Mike, I'm going there. Mike, this was a stunning quarter. And I want to talk ESG, but it would be wrong to you and your team if I did not talk about a company that bookings up 34%, 31% organically. This is extraordinary. You're not a new company. It was a software company. You're an old, good company. Tell us how you did it. Well, Jim, the fun for me is 11 plus years in the job when we did the spin and the RMT with Gardner Denver is we took the view of being the startup, of, of being the new company, the new co. And we really envisioned everything differently, the organization, the model, the way we'd invest, our cost centers. And um, we're, we're just happy with uh, kind of getting in front of it all. And then clearly with indoor air quality and, and with vaccine distribution, uh, we've been, from an innovation perspective and delivery perspective, pretty integral to, to, to hopefully, hopefully opening the, the economy. I know Thermo's not the biggest, but tell us about the distribution of vaccine, because it is, to me, there was a huge article the other day in, uh, in the New York Times about how Pfizer got its uh, drugs. It was fascinating. You should be part of it, because you are. Yeah, Jim, actually, it's interesting, because we had to invent a product very quickly in a matter of months to get temperatures down to minus 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit, colder than Mars, actually. And we used uh, something that we, we, we used for the sushi business for years and just made it pharmaceutical grade. We, we, we did some different things from a technology perspective to make it happen, but got to market with mass storage uh, and the ability to really store you know, tens and, and, and hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccine and make that mobile. So that's, that's been part of what we've been doing to support these guys. Uh, that's incredible. Okay, so Mike, I'm going there. So we got around 20 million new investors and they'll be listening and they'll be interested in this or that. But what they really want to know is ESG, and in particular, what they care about is the planet and global warming. I've had a lot yep. of people come in front of me in your seat. I've never had anyone who says that approximately 2,300 company leaders must be held accountable. And other than Clorox, for a few execs, you, it's really you're going to get paid if you do well with ESG if you work a train. Yeah, Jim, it's part of the, the strategy itself is sustainability. And, and you have to make the link that HVAC systems contribute 25% of carbon emissions in the world by 2030. If you throw transport refrigeration on top of that and food waste in, in cold storage, another 10 points. So more than a third of the world's carbon emissions happen as a result of HVAC and refrigeration systems. We developed technology in 2013 that, that takes that near to zero. And we then really embarked on a a whole campaign to connect that into our science-based targets in 2014. We, we met those in 2018. We, we did another set of targets in uh, this, this past year for 2030. We're trying to get everybody aligned on that, but it's important for investors to make that connection. We can do good for the planet and we can do great for investors by just innovating in the space, reducing carbon emissions, reducing building intensity, eliminating food waste through transport refrigeration. It's a lot of passion in the company around the environment and ESG and whole. Well, the other day I listened to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's talking about how this is not the way you do business. You try to make as much money as possible. That's the goal of business. It isn't, is it? People in our company, when we do survey, uh, put purpose ahead of profit. The thing is you can do both if you align those two. And our, our purpose is really to challenge what's possible for sustainability in a sustainable world. We know we've got the technology to make that go to zero today, frankly, if we implemented it all over the world. We believe one, one company can change an industry, an industry can change the, the planet. We believe that. 
and we believe it's good for shareholders. And, and look, it's been over the last uh, 10, 12 years, a really good run to prove that out. We're, we're not asking investors to bet on the come. Uh, we're up over 700% over that period of time. Um, and we're, 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 we've been following that same strategy and that same passion that entire time. As a, as a focused climate company now, with our industrial business moving uh, with Gardner Denver to New Ingersoll Rand, uh, it's helped sharpen, I think, uh, the tool even even more so for us. You know, my God, we always hear this uh, cliche about laser focused. And yet I, I sat down and, and check in every quarter with the new people from Otis. They were not a great they were not doing great under United Technologies. I'm listening to you. Ingersoll Rand, by the way, that's a great company. Ingersoll Rand is a great company. I've supported them for years. They have great, but Train wasn't doing as well under Ingersoll Rand. It just matters, right? It just, laser focus is not some joke phrase. No, in fact, when we were together as one company in the 2008-9 coming out of the last financial downturn, it was such a strategy to integrate the company, drive productivity, turn it into cash, pay down debt, that the integration became an obstacle in terms of separating the company. So by by, by doing uh, a deal with Gardner Denver to create Ingersoll Rand and realizing those synergies for the shareholder, we were really able to focus on train technologies as a pure play, improve performance of the company, but also be that be recognized in terms of the multiple of the company and the growth prospects. We think it's a multiple of GDP business. This regulations are, are moving that way, standards are moving that way. But fundamentally, if you want to drop a third of the world's carbon emissions to zero, you've got to attack it through the HVAC business. Wow. Well, look, I am really encouraged, uh, enlightened, and grateful for what you've done for shareholders. And Mike, your, your company's a real deal. Thank you, Thank you so Jim. much. That's Mike Lamont. He's chairman and CEO of Train Technology. Hey, guys, it's really easy to know. It's TT. I like a stock that goes up 100 points in a very brief period of time. That's also trying to save the planet and doing a good job. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, competing in e-commerce is a rocky road and troubling. Can hopeful fundamentals put Bed Bath & Beyond back in Wall Street's fast lane? Kramer's got the CEO next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Some stocks are just chronically misunderstood. Take Bed Bath & Beyond. That's the home goods retailer. It's become one of my favorite turnaround stores, even as the stock's been kind of a roller coaster. The last time we checked in with Bed Bath in early January, the stock had plunged from 21 to 18. And it, was, it was a widely panned quarter that, that caused that. 
I thought the story was much better than it looked. Over the next few weeks, the darn thing exploded higher. It briefly surged to nearly $54 as part of the meme stock squeeze feeding frenzy. I think that episode did the company a real disservice. This is a legitimate turnaround, not something like GameStop. Trades purely on hopes and dreams of short squeezes. Until a few weeks ago, the stock bounced between the high 20s and low 30s. Then Bad Bath reported, and once again, the quarter's misunderstood. Headline numbers, excellent. Sizable earnings beat, 4% same-store sales growth, 6% for the flagship. Wall Street was looking for much less. But management gave what some people thought was uh, somewhat uh, cautious talk about shipping concerns, headwinds, spook people, stock plunged 12%. And, and since then, it really hasn't recovered. Maybe it's a buying opportunity. Let's check in with Mark Tritton, the president and CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Tritton, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, how are you? Oh, well, Mark, I gotta tell you, I think your story is as misunderstood as ever. So let's let's get this thing right. Let's start with what's happened with your key initiatives to fix core merchandise categories. Last quarter, you said the categories were up 12 versus 6%. Uh, is that going to be able to grow along the rest of the assortment? We absolutely believe it will. Uh, part of that condition was really around the fact that our stores we're really coming back to, to being fully connected with the customer during the COVID moment and the strength of the digital business. We're seeing much more balance as we come into Q1 and we're seeing real strength again in those core categories with some early signs of market share growth. All right. Another thing that we did, didn't talk about that is ridiculous in my bed. I am seeing that Bye Bye Baby has a billion dollars in revenues with 50 percent growth. I mean, if that was a standalone company, everybody in the world would be buying it. Right. It's a terrific business. As we went through the transformation phase, we really focused on that mothership first, which was Bed Bath & Beyond. All eyes are now on Bye Bye Baby to develop it and our other business arm. And we have great plans there. And I think the upside potential is huge. I have always felt that when you moved over from Target, I could not wait to see what you've been doing. Private label. You gave us a little bit of leg the last time. Now I'm starting to think that it could be a core gross margin improver where once again, kind of like Costco, we might like the private label more than we like the branded. Absolutely. I think, you know, we've got a lot of change going on at Bed Bath & Beyond. And our Q1 period is really a focal point of that, where we see big changes in customer-facing uh, assets like assortment, like digital and like stores. In the assortment piece that you mentioned, fully curating our assortment, uh, rescaling, uh, scrubbing through the categories and rooms to reset them and redefine them with getting back into stock with great national brands. And then the pinnacle of that crown is the introduction of eight new own brands just in 2021, three of them in this quarter alone, and they're off to a great start. Now, when we, uh, if we were to go visit the new pilot stores, of which I hope will not be pilot, I hope it'll be these stores uh, in Houston and Texas, what will they look like versus, the, say, the Union County, the, the Union store that I happen to live a mile from, which, of course, was the initial bed bath? Yeah, well, what you're going to see is that wider aisle, better lighting, probably about 20 to 30% less assortment. Uh, we've curated that. We've brought the eye line down. Uh, and actually, our customers responded super positively, believing we actually have more assortment, more clarity and more authority before. The rooms reset to show our strengths and really featuring both those great owned brands and national brands with a focus on clear value communication and signage. It's, the stores are dipped in blue. They're strong. They're fresh. It's a new Bed Bath & Beyond. And we no longer have the 18 different kinds of hangers, the seven different kinds of trash cans, all of that kinds of thing, you know, the 40 different frying pans. We've eliminated that, right? 
Well, that served us well in the past. Um, but, you know, what we found out from our customers, it was too confusing. It, did, it was visual clutter. It was mental clutter. It was price point clutter. We really defined what our competitors and what our competitors do well and what our customers need from opening price point to a good, better, best strategy in each of the categories where we have authority, bed, bar, kitchen, storage and org, indoor decor, starting with those and doubling down to really refresh, simplify and kind of create this new authority in our spaces. And so far, customers are absolutely loving it, and we're on track with all our metrics in the remodel stores. Yeah, it's very interesting. I know it's it, we should never look back, and you're very forward, but I spent a lot of time with the old guys. And they spent a lot of money buying back stock, but not putting it into systems, which was bad. They spent a lot of money buying back stock all the way down, but not really in e-commerce. You've turned it upside down. You're, you're saving money, but you're putting it into systems. There's a big chunk now going into systems. And this e-commerce is exploding for you. I mean, the month-to-month numbers are extraordinary. Yeah, and look, that's maintained, maintained into Q1 as well, Jim. What we've seen is you know, explosive growth uh, last year, and we were really right-siding that business and investing. We're still seeing growth this quarter in our digital business as we move forward. But you're right, we weren't investing in the right places, technology, stores, infrastructure, uh, transportation, supply chain. We've been able to um, sell five key companies and we're down to our core four, reinvest that cash, which was already strong cash pool, uh, back into technology, investment, team. And that's really driving the change in our business. So all our transformation, $450 million over the next couple of years, is fully funded, uh, in, in the stores and IT side, we have further investment in across the business. That's fully funded. We've got our capital in play and we're off and running. At the same time, ESG is important at beginning, actually, well, you've been since you got there, but today, very important initiative that we've got to talk about. Please give us, yeah. I got, give you the floor on it because this is so important to us. Well, look, myself and my team have been very fortunate to work for companies that have been passionate and very dedicated to this task. And we've found uh, an empty space here when we got here, an opportunity to really double down on what was important to us, important to our team, and definitely important to our customers and shareholders, and that's ESG. Creating uh, a three-pillar program we launched today, and we're very, very excited about this. Not only have we transformed the fundamentals of our business, but all the, also the strategic intent to include ESG. A people pillar that focuses on our team, diversity, inclusion, a place to belong, and really investing in the power of our teams. Secondly, uh, in terms of the community and ensuring in the places in the neighbourhoods that we exist, we make that safe and, and give a sense of home and really investing in those communities. And lastly, the, the community we all live in the planet and making it ready for a better tomorrow for the next generation, investing in being net zero by 2040 and also creating more access to sustainable products across our assortment. Really proud of the work the team have done here. Well, you should be. I mean, I know as someone who's in the, did a lot of fundraising in the community, I never thought to go to, to, to frankly, to Bed Bath. I went 10 miles out of my way to Target, where they always gave me everything I ever wanted for the city, for anything I tried to raise money for in the city of Summit, New Jersey. You are doing it right, sir. That's Mark Tritton, President CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond. This is BBBY. This is nothing like the old days. It's much better. Mark, I love it when you're on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, at its highs, this stock doubled in the past year, but has the chance to ring the register past on pager duty. Kramer sits down with the CEO next. What would 
be safe to start speculating on the enterprise software stocks again. The whole group has been hammered by this rotation out of COVID winners into the great reopening plays, but they've still got some great long-term stories and growth. They're just not what the market seems to want at this moment with a booming economy. Still, at some point, they're going to come back with style on the Wall Street fashion show, so we got to stay close to these stories, which brings me to PagerDuty, an enterprise software company that helps its clients monitor their online presence so they can spot problems like outages and then fix them, among other things. They call it digital operations management. Now, PagerDuty has put up some incredible gains last year, surging from $12 at the lows in March to $58 at its peak a few months ago. Pandemic proved that their technology is essential to all sorts of companies. They were forced to go digital in a hurry, right? I mean, stay at home, all that stuff. So since then, the stock has gotten slammed. Tell me at $39 as of today. Didn't help that PagerDuty gave some okay guidance when reported mid-March. Stark tried to make up now to come back last month. That fizzled thanks to the recent tech sell-off. I think digitization is the new norm, even if enterprise software is temporarily out of favor with most money managers. So we got to check in with Jennifer Tejada. She's the chairperson and CEO of PagerDuty. Get a clearer read on the outlook of what's going on. Jen, welcome back to the show. It's so great to see you, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, Jen, it's been way too long. It's been 18 months uh, since the IPO and since we've seen you. I think your company has kind of reinvented again. I know five years ago it reinvented when you got there. Talk to us about what's going on there, particularly in light of the pandemic. And uh, as everyone out there says, WFH. Well, during during the pandemic, we saw digital transformation accelerate. Our customers had to become digital, uh, you know, digital companies overnight, and digital business became their business. And as a result, PagerDuty became essential infrastructure to help customers deliver those perfect digital experiences in the moment that counts. And what we've also learned is all the conveniences that consumers and employees have grown to expect. They're not going to give them up now that the pandemic is receding. And as they return to a hybrid work environment, they're going to continue to expect those wonderful digital experiences. And that bodes well for PagerDuty. That digital transformation is going to continue to accelerate. We expect cloud migration to still be a high priority for customers. And DevOps transformation is what enables all these digital operations to work seamlessly. So the hybrid working environment, we think, bodes well for PagerDuty. So classic examples, uh, a retailer that may have a recall. We obviously want everyone in that retailer to know PagerDuty does what for them, particularly now that some of those people's executives are at home. Well, PagerDuty may notify all of the staff and all of the important executive stakeholders in the organization this recall is indeed happening and how it's progressing, for instance. So it's not just technology incidents that we serve. It's many use cases. And what they all have in common is they tend to be unpredictable, unstructured work that needs to be orchestrated quickly across multiple teams. And PagerDuty does that seamlessly, leveraging AI, machine learning, and more recently, automation through our acquisition of Rundeck. All right, so you've got among your customers some really great customer lists, obviously. Uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, Netflix, fantastic Dropbox. Okta. Now, we know Okta, and we regard Okta as probably the premier security company of our time. Uh, we've had Todd McKinnon on many, many times. Why does he need PagerDuty? He's a genius who comes up with all sorts of interesting uh, enterprise software ideas. 
Well, we love Todd and his team over at Okta and, and also, also now Auth0. And, you know, they've got to make sure that the integrity of their solutions work when they're managing identity and, frankly, safety for their companies and security. And so there's no room for error. There's no room for downtime. And so I think, you know, PagerDuty has become essential to Okta. And we had Todd recently come speak to our employees. And one of the things he said is, I want to know as the CEO, how many incidents we're having, how long they're lasting, you know, whether they're uh, impacting customers and, and how they're impacting our teams. Because it's not whether or not you're going to experience incidents or security act hacks. It's how quickly you can respond to them, resolve them, get back to business as usual, and serve your customers effectively. Now, you're in touch with more executives than almost anyone I know, and I look at that client list. You really think we are going to work from home, that things have changed, that there'll be a, a hybrid mix? I listened to Jamie Dimon yesterday. He didn't sound like he wants hybrid. David Solomon, my old place that I worked at, Golden, they don't seem to want hybrid. But you think that hybrid's going to win out. Well, I think we're in the middle of a really interesting experiment. You know, we serve over 60 of the Fortune 100, but we also serve the most innovative, disruptive startups on the planet. And what we find is there's a wide variability of how these companies are thinking about work. But a couple of themes really are emerging. Most of our customers are imagining a world where they are digital, digital first, where digital is the default. Second, we know through Gartner that 82% of leaders anticipate allowing some part-time remote working. And third, we know that employees want flexibility. What that means for companies is a lot more complexity. It was really easy to manage remote work when everybody was remote. But now when you don't know who's in the office when and which teams are co-located and which teams are not, it means that you've got to prepare for distribution. And it means that applications and services that employees use have to be easy to use. They need to experience quick time to value and they have to work together seamlessly. And that's the way PagerDuty was designed. So I actually think hybrid, distributed work, whatever you want to call at this experiment that we're running, whatever we learn, it's going to require systems that help reduce complexity and give employees access to the technology they need in the seconds that they need it. Well, given the fact that this has been one of the great boons for your company, I struggle if I were you. I would say, you know what, the opportunity just became much bigger, the total adjustable market much bigger. How do I balance profitability versus growth? And I might favor growth over profitability right now. How are you balancing the two? Because this is kind of the great moment for PagerDuty. It is a great moment for PagerDuty, but we're very early in our journey. That growing TAM that you mentioned, we're early in that TAM, and our many of our customers are just getting started on their transformation, even if a lot of their projects were accelerated overnight last year. And so we, we think about all of the things that we can do to expand the products and the services on our platform uh, in order to drive growth. So growth continues to be a priority for us, but we try and do it efficiently. And I'm proud that we delivered cash flow positivity this last year we continue to see economies of scale as we grow the company. So we do grow with an eye towards doing that sustainably and, a way, and in a way that delivers great return for our shareholders. Well, look, i got to hand it to you. I mean, this was a very difficult environment for many people. You took the challenge and made it easier for many, many other companies so that they didn't screw up in what is a monumental change in work. Jennifer Tejada, CEO of PagerDuty, so glad to see you again on the show. So great to see you too, Jim. Thanks again for having me and stay Thank well. Thank you. See, some companies knew that they had to help other companies make this huge shift. And we're obviously not going back because we have companies like PagerDuty that make it so maybe we don't have to. Everybody's back after the break. 
Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski down to the lightning round. Let's start with Jeff in Arizona. Jeff! Booyah! Kramer. Yo! Long-time fan, my man. What's happening? Yeah, hey, uh, last week you had a great segment on 10 high-yield dividend stocks. Wanted to get your thoughts on Lumen Technologies. Okay, Lumen Technologies reported about 10 minutes ago. So I do not have what's going on in the conference call. So therefore, I have to defer and can't opine on it. I'm sorry. I wish I could, but it's too fresh. George in Missouri. George! Jim, I am uh, a member of the club, and I wanted to say something about that. It's a great show. You and Catherine Roth make a terrific team. Um, to the business at hand, uh, I took a position in a stock that was featured about a year ago, and it has been a dog. And now it's down 42% from where I bought it. And I wanted to know, if it was your stock, what would you do with it? It's Fastly. All right, we, we left Fastly, felt that there were too many issues involving who the customers are and who not and business they lost. Tonight they lost their CFO and they did not have a good quarter. So uh, I can't recommend it. I think there'll be even more downgrades tomorrow. I'm sorry that I wish I had better news. I just don't. Let's go to David in Florida. David. Hey, Kramer. I wanted to get your opinion on Wells Fargo. I picked up some shares last week when Chairman Powell. Buy more. Uh, cut. Buy more. Buy more Wells. Uh, Charlie Scharf is uh, the real guy. He's got his team in there. Everybody wants to want all these other, other banks. That's the cheapest bank. It's going to be the best bank. I have faith in Scharf. He may even deign to come on the show one day. I doubt it, but I don't mind pointing it out because I actually know him. Let's go to Jim in Virginia. Jim. Hey, hi, Jim. What's this up? This is Jim from Fredericksburg, Virginia, giving you a big booyah. I'll take that booyah. I'll take and it. And I have to Cinco de Mayo and best wishes on your reopening your bar yes. in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. You bet, man. It's a Corona Fest. Also, the, uh, yeah. the Modelo. I got the Modelo Special. It's very hard to get. I got, oh. I got it. All right, what's up? Sounds good. Thank you. I'm a long, long time first time, Jim. Thanks for all the work that you and your... Mad Money staff do, and um, CNBC Daytime is the only one to watch for stock info, but you still I have totally to do your own agree. research. Let's uh, throw in the judge there, too. It's on that show. It's a lot of fun. What's up? Oh, God, I love it. Uh, anyway, I took a small position in what I thought was a good life science company out of Cincinnati, Jim. Uh, I guess the street wasn't happy with the uh, with the uh, uh, earnings, uh, the revenue, I'm sorry, the revenue and the 21 guidance. What do you think? Hold? Buy more? Get another company, help me on MedPace, will you, Jim? I think it's good. I, I mean, I think it's a good, I think you're, you're right. It's a life science, it's got oncology. It's the kind of company that, you know, it's a good spec. It's actually a little better than a spec. I, th- I think you're going to be fine. I, 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 you know, this is a strange time in the market, and they're selling a lot of stocks that are very good. How about we go to Byron in Maryland? Byron. Um, my stock closed at uh, 84.51 a day. It's at a 20-year uh, high, almost close to all time high, with 5.6 uh, trillion dollars in assets under management. Record revenue of 16.72 billion with 30% margins. Uh, my stock is Morgan Stanley. Oh, I 
think Morgan Stanley is terrific. I regret that my Chapel Trust does not own this stock. James Gorman's done a remarkable job. I yeah, look, I owned Wells and Goldman and JP Morgan. It's like, how many of these can you own? But my mistake was not owning Morgan Stanley because that had the best business model and because Gorman really has it together. He's a real good guy and his acquisitions have been good. Uh, he never got in trouble with the regulators. Why? Because he moved out of that crazy business as it is. He's a real smart guy and a good guy. Let's go to Charlie in New York. Charlie. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for all the help you give us little guys. Uh, we're all little, my friend. Let's go to work, but we're all little. Tell me about Triton International. That's the infrastructure. I mean, they have all the containers. I mean, I, why isn't that? Why is that stock not up a lot? I gotta look into that. I'm gonna go to. to I think I may go to Ben Stoto, our research director, and find out. We gotta find out what the heck. We gotta drill down because that company's stock should be much, much higher. There must be some issue I don't know. I want to go to Bonnie in Florida. Bonnie. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hi. Born in. Born and raised in New Jersey, I'm living the good life in Florida now and loving your show. You got Thank the edge on me. Much. What's up? I've been holding a position in Sorens. Okay, Sorens is just—I mean, it—you it, it, know, I, like I'll do more work on it. But I, the reason I haven't done more work on it is it just doesn't seem to have any, any, any mojo. I know that's a technical term, but it just doesn't have anything I'm really interested in. But I'll, I will check it out for you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the. Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, start your engines. Your humble host doubles down on which iconic American auto he's taking to the carpool lane. Next. So the judge put me on the spot big time today. Yeah. Scott Wapner asked me why we own Ford for my travel trust and not General Motors. After that heavenly report from GM today, how could I not cut and run from Ford and embrace the company with better numbers? I was momentarily stunned. Cut to the quick. Because I am in awe of what CEO Mary Barr has accomplished at General Motors. They have a terrific lineup of cars, trucks, SUVs. They have fabulous battery technology, Ultium. It's currently the envy of the industry, frankly. Her shareholder letter was about as thoughtful as it gets. My wife's in line to buy one of their vehicles. And GM's firing on all cylinders, everything from China to the U.S. to the finance business, which is booming. But I'm still sticking with Ford for one simple reason. The new CEO, Jim Farley. Don't get me wrong, Mary Barr has been a fabulous break with the Passover GM. And I love, by the way, the ultra-cool new electric Hummer that can crab walk, the truck my wife's trying to ditch her SUV for. However, Farley represents a much more radical departure for Ford, and that's what was needed. He's decided, I'm not kidding, this is monumental, he's decided to not lose money on cars. All right, before you laugh, my executive producer just did. I'm serious. In terms of management philosophy, Ford's got a lot more room to improve under Farley because their old way of doing business was just so stupid. See, the Ford Motor Company has a long history of trying to make vehicles everywhere in order to be the world's car. Now, that's a grandiose vision, but it also doesn't coincide with turning a profit. There are whole countries, whole continents even, where you can pretty much rest assured a watermaker will regularly lose money. Rather than focusing on the true growth markets like China, where GMs is in great shape, they insisted on spreading themselves way too thin across regions that were never going to be that lucrative, and they've missed out on China almost entirely. Then Farley took over last year, and he made it clear that he'd run forward like a normal business. Rather than world domination, he set his sights on making money. 
on every vehicle. That includes electrifying the whole product line, including the storied F-150 pickup truck, the best-selling vehicle in the country. Plus, Farley's a car guy, something Ford desperately needed after the last CEO, who was more of a steel cabinet guy. Farley actually races cars in his spare time. He's come out with this Mustang Mach-E. I wish I could say that they're flying off off of the lot, but they've already flown off the lot. You can't get a Mustang. Uh, the, uh, e, the Mach-E. You can't. Why? Because the Mach-E's already sold out. That's right. Can't get one. What about the uh, $2.5 billion in sales that Ford says they're leaving on the table because of the chip shortage? GM seems to be doing a better job of managing its semiconductor supply chain, but I think it's hard to fall farly for dropping the ball in this one. Like most American manufacturers, Ford's got a just-in-time supply chain. They run lean, only buying more components when they need them. Unfortunately, Farley misjudged the voracious demand for his cars and trucks. Talk about a high-quality problem. So now he's at the mercy of the semiconductor foundries. The good news, a major semiconductor plant that burned down in Japan, one that's crucial to Ford's production more than anybody else, will be back at 50% capacity this month. It should be back to 100 by the beginning of July. If that's the case, then I'm betting Ford could have a fabulous third quarter. So you don't want to throw it away now in the 11.5 region. In the end, though, if you put a gun to my head and told me to choose between Ford and GM, well, first, of course, I'd beg you to take the gun away. But then I'd give you my answers. At these prices, I think it's basically a push. However, I think we'll look back at this period as a halcyon moment for the U.S. auto industry, which means you have to own one of Detroit's finest. They're both too cheap and too good to ignore. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.